You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Say, uh, Special day. This, is, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us this morning as celebrate these baptisms and get to uh, worship our God and, and gather together. If you're new here, uh, love that, you've, uh, that you're here. Hope you feel really welcome and invited. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church and Camp's Proud Dad. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, all right, so I could be wrong here, but... Um, I assume that if you were to receive a letter in the mail, fancy letterhead from a law firm, looks legit, and in the, and in the uh, letter it says that a uh, distant relative of yours that you've never heard of, you didn't know existed, but a distant relative of yours has died and has left you millions of dollars. I'm willing to bet you would be very skeptical. But also, I'm willing to bet you would, you would at least look into it, right? I mean, you, like there, to some degree, you know, you know, I don't think you'd probably jump up and down in that moment, but you would, you would investigate and do a little due diligence because, I mean, it's the offer's just too good not to, just to dismiss outright, right? Well, guys, I think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a lot like that. Because the, the, the claim that Jesus died and then he rose again, I mean, I understand. We hear that and we, we come to that with a lot of skepticism because, you know, people don't do that. They don't die and then rise again. And so we receive that. But, man, if it happened, then the offer, the implications of that are just too good not to actually look into to see if there's anything credible to that, because the promise of the resurrection is not just some idea of this ethereal existence in this immaterial world forever and ever, or, or, or you know, something forever and ever, but no, the, the promise of the resurrection is a, is a new body, perfect, restored in a new heavens and new earth, perfect creation, physical creation, with loved ones and with God. And a perfect relationship with him. Like this, because the promise of the resurrection is, is, is contained in it is a hope. It's a peace. It's, it's, it's a joy that nothing else can even come close to comparing to. And when you recognize that that's contained in the promise of the resurrection, you see, okay, if that's true, then that's amazing. Maybe, maybe this is worth looking into. Maybe, I mean, I'm skeptical, but maybe it's worth at least looking into. And as I said last week, one of the things that I just love about Christianity, I find so comforting and intriguing about Christianity, is that you can look into it. Like, you actually can explore and investigate, and you can question, and you can, you can dive into whether this is true, because Christianity is not when it when you boil it down does not boil down to a subjective spiritual experience then when it includes this a lot of that but when you boil it down at its essence christianity boils down to a historical event that either happened or did not happen 
And because that's the case, you can investigate. You can look into it. You can explore. You can see, is there any reason to believe this? Is there any reason that a, a rationally-minded person in 2019 would actually think there, there's, this is credible? This actually happened. Because Christianity boils down. It rises and falls completely on whether Jesus Christ died and rose again. Think about what the Apostle Paul said. It was in that video. I talked about this last week, but this is what he said. He just sums it up. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, like it's worthless, it's pointless, and you are still in your sins. And so it's of highest importance that we would investigate the evidence of the claim of Jesus' resurrection to determine if there is you know, a good reason to actually believe that this happened. And so um, this morning, we're continuing the series that we began last week on Easter Sunday, where we are uh, just considering the evidence around the resurrection and trying to determine what, what does it mean. And so we're going today, we're going to consider the claims of the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb and the risen Christ. And we're going to do that by asking four kind of simple questions, right? The first is, who are these witnesses? We're going to try to get a little bit of biographical information about them. The second is, what was their testimony? Like, what did they say they saw? And then the third is, is there any good reason to actually believe what they said? Like, do, why would we ever think that they were credible? And then the fourth is, and why is their testimony so important? So that's where we're headed this morning, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, but before I get, go there, let, let me just encourage y'all to approach these, uh, th- these witnesses um, with, a, uh, you know, with ears willing to hear what they have to say. And one of the things that will keep you from doing that is what C.S. Lewis uh, termed chronological snobbery. <laughs> chronological snobbery is basically the pride, that base feeling that says, okay, those, you know, we, you know, enlightened modern people, we know, like, people don't die and rise again. And so if someone told us that, we would, like, immediately receive that with skepticism. But those ancients, right, I mean, they, they weren't enlightened. They, they, I mean, they believe that kind of stuff happened all the time. And so, of course, if someone said, Jesus rose again, they were like, oh, great, that's awesome. That's what we think. But here's the deal. Don't buy into that because, I mean, research has shown, and it's, it's super, super convincing that uh, that's just not the fact. That's just not the case. That the, that the ancients would have responded to the claims of the resurrection with skepticism just like we do, albeit for different reasons. Like uh, I think N.T. Wright wrote a, just a, a masterful work on this that uh, is uh, you know, renowned uh, across all fields. So he, he wrote a book that's called, entitled The Resurrection of the Son of Man. And in it, he argues that uh, for the Greco-Romans, for the Romans of that day and age of Jesus' resurrection, um, they would not have bought into it because in their worldview, they viewed the body as being this disgusting, decaying, defiled thing. And the soul was really what was valuable and that death for them was a liberation of the soul from the body. And so the idea of a re-embodied soul, a soul being re-embodied for them, one, they would say, that's impossible. And two, they would say, and that's disgusting. Like, no one would want that. And so to hear that that had happened, they would have said, no, that doesn't happen, and that's gross. They wouldn't have bought it. They would have been completely skeptical. In addition, the Jews of that day, they did believe 
that there was such a thing as a bodily resurrection. However, they believed that it would take place at the end of history when God would, at that time, rise, raise all of those who are righteous in him, and he would also set the world completely right, where there would be no sin, there would be no decaying, there no death. Everything is shalom, it's peace. That's when the resurrection would happen. They had no place in their worldview for an individual resurrection in the middle of history. For them, that claim would have been both impossible and heretical. They would not have believed that. So here, here's the point. The point is that uh, for all the dominant worldviews of the time, an individual bodily resurrection was just as hard to accept for them as it is for us, albeit again, for different reasons. And it's helpful just to keep that in mind as we're going to look at these first century uh, eyewitnesses who claim, whose claims we're going to analyze and because you, know, you just help, help see, they came to the resurrection the same way we would come to it, simply believing that it was not possible. And yet, there were many who claimed they saw Jesus die, and they claimed that they saw him alive again. And as we'll see this morning, the first people who made that claim were a couple of women who followed Jesus. In fact, all four New Testament gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this detail of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. They record the detail that the first people who came to the empty tomb and saw the risen Jesus were women. And I want you to see this for yourself. So if you will, turn to Matthew or go to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10 today. I also have the, uh, the verses up here on the slides for you to follow along this way. But I want you to see what they said they saw, what they claimed that they saw. Okay? So here it is. Verse 1 says this. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. Okay, so there we have the record of the claims of this first, uh, first people who claimed to see Jesus uh, alive after he had died. And so let's, let's just begin by asking a couple of these questions, right? The first one being, okay, who were these two women that we're told about here? Now, to answer that question... It's helpful to go to another passage of Scripture, and that's found in Luke chapter 8, because that's when we're first introduced to this group of women who followed Jesus. In Luke 8, it says this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And the 12 were with him, talking about the 12 male disciples. And it says, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Harold's household. Susanna and many others. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, now I don't know if you caught all that, but basically this passage is telling us that there were a group of female followers of Jesus, or you could call them disciples of Jesus, that followed Jesus from town to town, as it says, they're going from town to town, they'd follow Jesus from town to town, faithfully following Jesus. And that in this group, they would, they, what they, many of them had been healed from, most likely healed by Jesus, from either demon possession or, or physical um, issues, and that they had you know, caused them to say, okay, I want to follow you, Jesus. And then they actually supported Jesus in his ministry out of their, as it says here, their own means. And I'm sure you picked up on it, but one of the people that's mentioned here is, is Mary Magdalene. That's the same person referenced in Matthew 28 who uh, was, uh, saw Jesus First one saw Jesus uh, rise again. And so Mary Magdalene's interesting. Uh, many scholars believe was probably the leader of the female disciples, the female followers of Jesus. And they believe that because, one, she's listed first here, second, because she's listed by name here, and she's listed by name in the Matthew 28, the, the gospel the, uh, resurrection narratives. And so, like, she, she was integral uh, part uh, to, uh, as a follower of Jesus, key character in the New Testament. Now, what's also interesting and worth noting, out, noting here is we, we don't get a lot of information about her, but the little that we do, it's, um, you know, it's, it's heavy, right? It's, I mean, here's your one snippet about her. Uh, she's the one who had seven demons cast out from her. So how, how would you like that to be your tagline? You know, this is, this is Jake, and oh, by the way, seven demons were cast out of him. Um, now, I don't know about what baggage you carry with you. She was carrying some baggage with her, right? And a seven in Scripture is often used as a number that, that just kind of uh, uh, metaphorically speaks to wholeness. And so I don't know if it's seven literal or seven, like, just completely, you know, demon-possessed. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what that was like other than to say that it had defined her. It was a part of her identity. It's how she was known. And yet, here she is as a follower of Jesus. Okay, that's a little bit of what we know about, you know, who are these two women? Here's what we know about one of them. Here, the, what we know about the other one that's clearly called the other Mary, which is not a real flattering way to always be remembered. You're the other Mary. Uh, we don't actually know a whole lot about her. What we do know about her is just one line that's found in Matthew 27 that leads up to what we read in Matthew 28. It's the kind of in context. It's, it takes place right after Jesus has died. Like some verses right before what I'm about to read to you, Jesus has just breathed this final breath on the cross. He's still actually on the cross when we are, let me uh, just read you from Matthew 27. It says this, verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance and they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. And among them were, were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. That's the other Mary and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. And then key verse here, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary were sitting there 
opposite the tomb. Now again, we're not told anything else about this other Mary, other than that she's the, the mother of James and Joseph. Most likely, she was, that is referring to the James that was one of Jesus' 12 male disciples. Okay, so she was probably a mom of one of the disciples of Jesus, but that's, that's all we really know. But these are the two women. That's the biographical information. Who are the two women who claim to see Jesus first? There you go. Mary, the Mary and the other Mary. <laughs> All right, Mary, uh, demon-possessed, you know, that one, and the other Mary. So the, the, these are our two. All right, now, what was their testimony? And I've kind of already read it in Matthew 27 Matthew 28. And so instead of going all the way back through all that, I just want to draw out seven key statements that they have said about their, what they claim they saw. Okay, so just try to follow along with me. This is, just, this is what, and this is a big deal, this is what the eyewitnesses, first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb and Jesus and the risen Jesus, this is what they said they saw. Verse, first thing, they said they saw Jesus die. We read that in Matthew 27. They were there at the cross and they saw him die. Second, they said that they saw Jesus buried in Joseph's tomb. Again, we read that in Matthew 27. They saw who took the body of Jesus, they, the guy named Joseph of Arimathea. They, they knew exactly where Jesus was buried. They were there watching it happen. So they knew where to go to see Jesus then on Sunday morning because they saw where he was buried. Okay, the third thing is this. They felt the ground shake. They saw the angel and they heard his voice. Now, I point that out because I just want you to notice uh, how many senses are mentioned in Matthew 28, about what they felt, about what they heard, what they saw, what they touched. And in historical literature, these were all ways to make sure people understand this was an eyewitness account. That's why these were included in here. It's worth mentioning. Okay, the, the fourth thing that they, they uh, said, their testimony was that they found the tomb empty. The same tomb that they saw Jesus buried in, on Friday night, they go to on Sunday morning, and they find it empty. Now, let me just point out something about their testimony regarding this, okay? Notice that the te their testimony was not that they saw an angel, and the angel said that Jesus is risen, and the tomb is empty. No, their testimony was this, that they went to the tomb, they saw an angel, the angel said, he is not here, he has risen, go see for yourselves. And then they go, and they look, and sure enough, the tomb is empty. That's there. They said, that's what happened. That's what we saw. Okay. Then the fifth, they uh, were told to report the resurrection to the disciples. Now, <laughs> I love this. Their instruction from the angel after they had seen the empty tomb and had, been, uh, and had been told about the resurrection was to go and tell the disciples what they had seen. And I love that after seeing the risen Jesus, his instruction to them was to go and tell the disciples what they've seen. Now, just quickly, and I can't stay here long, but it's worth noting, why did they have to go tell the disciples what they've seen? Because Jesus' male disciples were not there. It was the women. It was the women who saw Jesus die. It was the women who saw where he was buried. It was these women who came to the tomb after Jesus had risen. And Jesus says, you, I'm, I'm using you. I want you. I'm inviting you to be the ones to go and tell. They were the first witnesses. Okay, much more to be said about that. But seventh thing uh, that point out here, or sixth thing to point out here is that they experienced great fear and great joy. 
Notice, I don't know if you picked up on it, but uh, the emotions in this, these passages are, are very real. They're very raw. And to think that, and I think that is one of the great validators that this account is true. For, listen, it doesn't cover up how afraid the women were when they showed up. Like, it doesn't paint them as people of great faith. It doesn't say, and so the women came early, early, you know, in the Sunday morning so they could get there before the tomb was rolled away. And they were counting down from 10. It's going to happen. It's going to rise. 10, 9, 8. No, no. They showed up planning to prepare Jesus' body, his dead body. And when they see what they saw, they were afraid. We know this because what's the angel say? Do not be afraid. What's Jesus say to them? Do not be afraid. Why do you tell people to not be afraid? Because they're afraid, right? In fact, the passage actually says they were very afraid. But it also says that after they heard about the resurrection, they were very afraid. They were (laughs) filled with fear and they were filled with great joy. And man, I hear that and I just think, man, that's it. Don't you think that's how you would have responded? Like you've been terrified, and yet, like, it, is this real? Is this really happening? I'm scared. I'm filled with joy. Emotions here are very real. They're very raw. And then the last thing I'll point out to you is this, that they say they met the risen Jesus in person and touched his feet. Friends, that was their testimony. That's what they claimed. He said, after we heard he was alive again, he appeared to us, and we saw him, and we touched his feet. Now, why is that seemingly random kind of bit of information included in there that he, they touched his feet? It's like, oh, it's, you know, good for you. That's kind of weird. But, no, the reason that that's in there is because they want us to know. And the reason that Matthew recorded what they said about this is because he, he said, okay, this is important information. People who are going to read this need to know this. These women, they understood that they were not seeing a spirit. They were not seeing a ghost. They were not having a hallucination. You know, they had had, yes, a very emotional, very hard weekend. And they just seen their, their you know, teacher, their, they've seen Jesus die. But they want us to know, hey, look, when we saw him, we touched him. You don't touch ghosts. Now, he was physically resurrected. He was physically alive. When they saw him, they touched him. Now, this is what they claimed. Now, that's powerful. Put all that together. It's a powerful eyewitness testimony. But we're left with the question of, can we believe it, right? I mean, why, like, it's great that that's what I said, but like, this is still crazy. They saw a dead man alive again. That does not happen. So do we have any reason to believe that what they said is credible. Any reason to believe that there's actually some validity to this, that they really did see Jesus alive after he had died. Well, let me tell you, friends, to put it as clearly as possible, the answer is a resounding yes. (laughs) Is there a reason to believe them? Yes. And let me tell you why. It's because The women's testimony is credible because there was no possible advantage at that time for claiming that the women were the first witnesses of the risen Jesus. There was no possible advantage at that time for claiming that women were the first witnesses of the risen Jesus. Let me explain what I mean by that. For you see, the ancient world 
was very misogynistic. And as a result, they did, not, they did not believe that women could be credible witnesses. Instead, they believe, the ancient world believed that women were unreliable witnesses to the point that their testimony was not even admissible evidence in court. For example, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that women were not eligible to be witnesses in Jewish courts because, to quote him, because of the levity and impetuosity of their sex. Now, that's offensive, right? Literally, at that time, they believed women were less rational than than men, more easily swayed by their emotions, and too prone to jump to conclusions without giving things proper consideration. In fact, in the second century, a guy named Celsus, who despised Christianity put forth the argument that Christianity we can know is not true, primarily based on the claim that women were the first witnesses. In fact, here, let me just quote him. Here's what he said. He said, After death he, speaking of Jesus, he rose again, and he showed the marks of his punishment and how his hands had been pierced. But who saw this? A hysterical female, as you say. Now again, The reason why he could say that is because they lived a very misogynistic time, a time which women's status was so extremely low. And yet, and yet, put this together. Think about this, friends. Every single one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record that women were the first witnesses to the risen Christ. And as a result... Celsus' attack was absolutely expected. For recording women as the first witnesses was viewed in those days as the Achilles heel to the Christian movement. Everyone would react and think the same way. They would think, how can you expect us to believe this if you say women were the first ones to see the risen Christ? But the great irony, the great irony today is that it's the fact that the women are recorded as the first witnesses that makes their resurrection narrative, their story, their claims, so incredibly credible. As historian after historian will admit, if you were inventing stories about the resurrection, you would never have said women were the first witnesses. And so hear this. The only, the only historically plausible reason for why women are recorded as the first witnesses of the risen Jesus is because that's what actually happened. It is the only historically plausible reason that's what actually happened. The women saw him alive. They were the first to see him alive. And then they went and told others, and others saw him alive. This is what happened. Guys, Chew on that. This is, this is strong evidence on the credibility of what these women claimed. It's strong evidence that Jesus rose again. Now, in light of that, let's ask the last question, which is, why is their testimony important? See, beyond showing us, beyond showing us that it, like, Jesus, Jesus rose again, which is, that's a big reason, right? Like they, they said, Jesus rose again, we saw him. But be, even beyond that, 
why is, why is their testimony important? Well, let me give you three things as we wrap up. The first is this. Their testimony is important because it shows us the value of women in the kingdom of God. It shows us the value of women, friends, in the kingdom of God. As Jesus usually does, he turns the uh, common uh, structure of society on its head. He's the one who says, okay, if you want to be, you, you want to be first, you've got to be last. In my kingdom, this is how it works. If you want to be, you, you want to be great, you've got to be a servant of all. And here, fitting what he does and turning things on his head, he says, okay, you don't think women have any value and they can't be credible witnesses? Well, I'm going to make them my first witnesses because they have incredible value. It's not, <laughs> do not miss how extremely significant it is that Jesus would have appeared first to these women. He could have appeared to anyone, but he chose these women. And guys, this is, this is not the main point of Matthew 28. This is not the main point of this message, but it is in this text, and it is a big deal. Women are extremely valuable to our God. That it's from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. This is God created us, mankind, in his image, male and female, he created us so that we all have equal dignity and worth in the eyes of God. And what you see in Jesus over and over again in his life and ministry is showing how important women are to both the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. I know one thing for sure, like, oh, I would not be the man I am today if it were not for the women, the godly women in my life. I mean, my, it's fun to, to teach on this. But my mom is here. Who got to, you come and see Camp Baptized. And like, my mom, my wife, their impact that they've had on me, how they have taught me, how they have uh, uh, modeled for me, how they've challenged for me, how they've prayed for me. Like, I just would not be the man that I am if it were not for them. And in addition to that, one other thing I know is that our Church would not be the healthy church family that we are if it were not for the women of Midtown. These women who, who give of their time and of their talents, who support our church financially, who pray for our church and lead within our church and who disciple in our church, who serve and sacrifice and who share the good news of Jesus Christ with their, good, with their friends and with their neighbors and their classmates. And you can go on and on and on. Like, ladies, please hear this. You are extremely valuable, extremely important to our God. And you are extremely valuable and honored amongst our church family. We are so incredibly thankful for you. I could go on and on, but there's, an, there's another thing I want you to see that, that is really powerful here, too. And that's this. Their testimony is important because it shows us that anybody can be a witness for Jesus. Like, you see that? That regardless of your background or your story, you can be confident that Jesus can use your voice to make the good news known. I love this because this comes out of the fact that the first witness of the risen Jesus was not just a woman, but a woman with a past. See, it was Mary Magdalene, the one with seven demons cast out. That this is who Jesus 
appears to first and says, I want you to be the very first one to see me and the very first one to go sin, to go tell others. Guys, is that not a, just an incredible display of the grace of God? That God is showing us in this, there is no one, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter even what you're doing right now, there's no one outside of the grace of Jesus who Jesus can't come to and save and say, you got a part to play. You are important. You are invited to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. Your voice is unique. Your experiences and your story, I want to redeem and I want to invite you to partner with me in so that more and more can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene is proof of that, of all the people to be the first person to see the risen Savior. Jesus chose her. Can you think of a more honored position in the history of the world? As you, you wonder, man, does Jesus want anything to do with me? Have I messed up too bad? <laughs> Look to Mary Magdalene. Look to the grace that Jesus gives her and hear this. No. He loves you, you're valuable to him, and he invites you to be a part of what he's doing in this world as a witness of his to tell the good news of the gospel so that more and more people can come to know this God who loves them to the extent that he came and he died for them and he rose again, that they could be with him forever. That's what we learned from this. And finally, the last thing we learned is that this shows us the transforming power of the resurrection. And one of the great parts of the story to me is how the women were changed after they met the risen Jesus. And you're going to see this all throughout the, next, you know, the rest of the series, the next two weeks. But it's worth pointing out right here that in this text we see that these women go from having great fear to, have, to having great joy after meeting the risen, risen Jesus. They go from mourning his death to announcing his life. They go from thinking they are preparing his dead body to worshiping at his risen feet. And friends, that just points to the fact that if the resurrection is true, it truly changes everything. That if Jesus truly has died and risen again, as these women say, and as we have great reason to believe what they say is true, what that means is, as we talked about last week, Jesus is the Son of God, and he is the Savior of the world, and that he can change your life. He can transform you, that he can come to you and say, I want you, I want you to be with me. I love you, and I died for you to have your past forgiven no matter what you've done and to pay also for any future sin that you will ever have so that you can enter into a relationship with me so you can be reconciled to God. I died so that you won't have to be separated from God. I died so that you can be brought in, adopted in, be made a part of the family of God. Guys, this is good news of the gospel. This is what their testimony means. And I want to ask you, will you at least consider it?
And really what I want to ask you is, will you believe it? So that God can change you. So you would experience the joy of knowing him. The joy of being in a relationship with Jesus. that He made possible by his death and his resurrection for us. The joy that we got to hear about this morning through these baptisms, that can be yours. It's your offer, no matter what you've done. It's because you're that valuable to Jesus. So, we're going to end by taking communion. We do this most every Sunday here at Midtown Church. And the way that we take communion is that uh, in a minute I'll pray and everyone's welcome to come to the front to take the bread and the cup or the back two tables uh, to take the bread and the cup there. And we do this to remember that Jesus truly has died in our place. That his body was broken for us, that's what we remember with the bread, and that his blood was spilled for us, that's what we remember in the cup. That Christ died for us. And the Bible tells us that one of the reasons why he did that is because you matter much to him. You are valuable to him. That he wants to be with you. And so he took your place on the cross. He paid for your sins so that you can be reconciled to him forever. If you've never believed that, then I would encourage you, instead of taking communion with us now, you would use this time to pray. And they either, either ask God, God, is there any reason to believe this is true? And you might not even believe there is a God. That's okay. Just, you know, what's, what's it going to do any harm if you just talk to no one <laughs> secretly in your mind? But maybe he's there, and maybe he's hearing you, and you can say, God, is there any reason to believe this? Can you help me know if you're real? And if you are ready to believe this, perhaps you could tell him even now, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you're my Savior. And I trust in you alone for forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for forgiving my past. I want to be a part of what you're doing, and I want to be with you. You tell the God that in your own words, and at that moment, you're in the family of God. The rest of us, let's rejoice of what Jesus has done for us by as we take communion and we remember he has risen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, will you help us believe this? either for the first time or whether we know that this is true, but we need to be reminded of just how uh, valuable we are in your eyes. Lord, that no matter what our past is, you still invite us to be a part of what you're doing, that we could be with you and we can help make you known. And God, would you um, fill us with the joy of the knowledge of what Christ has done for us and what the hope that he has secured for us through his death and his resurrection. And for those that are, are questioning this, God, will you help them believe? And we want to worship you now in light of what you've done for us. May you be honored in this time. Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.